Welcome to The Week Ahead in Russia, RFERL's Monday podcast about significant developments and upcoming events in Moscow and beyond. I'm Steve Gutterman, and my guest this week is Olga Oliker, Program Director for Europe and Central Asia at the Crisis Group. Thanks very much for joining me today again, uh, Dr. Oliker. Well, thank you for having me back, Steve. All right. Uh, great to have you. Now, the first time you joined me on this podcast was a little over one month ago, and it was one day before the U.S. and Russian presidents held a video call, I think it was a video call, amid concerns about Moscow's troop buildup near Ukraine and its sweeping demands for restrictions on NATO enlargement and activities, uh, among other things. Uh, this time, we're again going to be talking about talks. Uh, U.S. and Russian diplomats met in Geneva last night, and they're holding their main discussions today. Again, this is about um, the Russian buildup uh, and Russia's demands uh, for what it calls security guarantees. Now, on Tuesday, um, a meeting of the NATO-Russia Council is planned, I believe, for the first time since 2019. Uh, and on Wednesday, talks within the framework of, of the OSCE, which includes all the countries involved, um, and that includes Russia. Uh, those talks will be held uh, NATO in, in Brussels, I believe, and the OSCE ones in Vienna, where it's headquartered. Now, Olga, I'm interested in your opinion about the chances that these talks can succeed, or maybe it would be better to say the chances... I guess with the implicit Russian threat of a new military offensive against Ukraine looming, the chances that failure or collapse can be avoided. I have to say uh, that to me, based on what Russia has been saying lately, uh, things do not look very good. Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Rabkov, uh, who is the uh, the main um, Russian diplomat in the talks uh, today, uh, said yesterday, I believe, that Russia would, quote, make no concessions under pressure, unquote. And he warned that talks could uh, potentially end very quickly if Moscow is dissatisfied. Now, Rebkov also reiterated Russia's insistence on a binding guarantee that NATO will not take, any, take in any new member in the vicinity of Russia, including Ukraine, and suggested that if the United States is unwilling to discuss that and another uh, you know, major uh, demand, um, the negotiations could be scuttled and, and end quickly. Now, this could be bluff or bluster, I suppose. And Ryabkov made very brief remarks after the talks uh, with U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman last night that were less confrontational. But personally, I, I see very little room for compromise, assuming Russia even wants compromise, uh, you know, between this Russian demand and the repeated statements from the United States and NATO that countries must be free to make their own sovereign foreign policy, and that that obviously includes Ukraine. Now, Olga, do, do you think that's a p big potential stumbling block? Uh, in a recent thread, you said uh, that Russia is not looking for off-ramps in these talks. I know it's a tough question, but given that approach and the recent comments, what do you think about the prospects for the talks uh, today and, and this week? So, look, an off-ramp is uh, when someone's in over their head, when they've made a mistake and they need a face-saving way out. That's definitely not Russia, right? Mm -hmm. They're not in over their head. They don't think they've screwed any of this up, and they're not looking for a face-saving way out. But they are looking for a deal. And so what they've done is they've laid out their wish list of deals uh, in those two draft treaties they published. And then the question becomes, what might they expect accept short of that? And Right, it's not a negotiation unless there's some room for compromise. They keep saying that um, 
the prospect of NATO enlargement uh, to the east, uh, to former Soviet countries, et cetera, is not a place for compromise from NATO's perspective saying we are closing the doors of this alliance is not something they're going to compromise on. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's also no particular appetite in NATO to enlarge to post-Soviet states. Um, you know, I think NATO is going to enlarge uh, Sweden and Finland might be the more likely uh, candidates. Um, and that's particularly if Russia be continues to be active, um, shall we say, in uh, in Europe. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so, you know, it's it's sort of, it's they're talking past each other at some point right the russians want nato to commit to not doing something that they're not going to do but that it's against it's it's against the alliance's nature to commit to not doing it because well you never know what's going to happen right. things change uh and it's just alliances are you know, the idea of closing the door to an alliance is a bit of a strange one so on the one hand there really is no intention particularly like Ukraine than to NATO. Uh, on the other hand, there's absolutely no NATO desire to put that down on paper and get all the present members to sign on to it. Um, I think that is an impasse. Um, whether or not there's a way to resolve it is something we're going to see. Yeah, so I mean, uh, very kind of, that does seem to be like the, the biggest question. I mean, to me, there seems to be maybe some wiggle room in, in Russia's demands for, you know, non-deployment of weapons, uh, you know, near its borders and kind of returning to the situation as it was in 1997 um, with, you know, with they're saying NATO should not or Western countries should not be uh, deploying weapons or, or conducting military. We're not, we're not going to come back to 1997, I don't think. Right. But but I do think there's room for deals on exercises and deployments and so forth and so on. And I think there absolutely there has to be room for that, uh, particularly if Russia is willing to limit some of its own exercises and deployments. Right. And I think I mean, on that on that question, I think Russia has been a little more sort of equivocal about, you know, what it exactly is demanding in practice. I mean, you know, sometimes when Putin has spoken, sometimes he's said, you know, certain types of weapons close to our, in, I think last time he said, you know, very close or, you know, in direct proximity to our borders. So, so it does seem like there's room for, for movement on that, I guess. Um, uh, and as you say, exercises, uh, other things, but then this question of, you know, non, non-expansion of NATO just seems to loom so large. Okay. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll find out, um, we may I mean, find out today. Sorry, uh, go I ahead. Think not, I mean, to be fair, I think they had the closest thing you can get to a commitment that Ukraine would not join NATO in the form of a Ukrainian constitution that uh, included um, a commitment to non-bloc status. Uh, now, Ukraine changed that after the war began in 2014, which also kind of tells you, you know, <laughs> the commitments last only as long as one is committed to them. Right. Exactly. And, and of course, you know, Russia's one of Russia's main kind of gripes or, you know, uh, the foundation of some of its demands is, is the, the claim that, that NATO and the U.S. Uh, uh, duped, duped Russia in the 90s and, and said they wouldn't expand. Um, and, but that's obviously was not on paper. Russia doesn't even claim that was on paper. And yet they have, you know, been accused of, of violating 
several agreements that were on paper, including the Budapest Memorandum, you know, uh, which uh, I guess protects the sovereignty of Ukraine. Um, so I guess uh, with, with that sort of big question looming of the non-expansion, uh, my second question is related uh, to the first. Again, probably tough to say, but what do you see as kind of the best realistically possible outcome of the talks, um, I guess, today and, and this week? Um, an agreement to talk more, perhaps? Um, I mean, obviously, because R- Russia is saying, well, these talks could end very fast. Um, or is there something more positive than that, that that you see could potentially coming out of these talks? Do you see Russia potentially making concessions, despite its its tough rhetoric? I mean, look, the only way this gets decided quickly is if it gets decided badly, right? Um, right. If the talks fail, Russian forces start rolling along, more sanctions are imposed, more buildups, um, all of that, you know, could happen within days. Um, and then, you know, depending on how that works out, there might be talks after that. But, um, you know, there's a big risk that lots of people die and um, there's a lot of pain in between. Um, success is really unlikely in the form of a deal this week that decisively solves anything, right? So at best, you get some maybe some small unilateral promises from both sides and commitments to keep talking and to keep negotiations going and probably perhaps you know if we're lucky some pullback of russian forces which i imagine will be one of the conditions that western countries impose on anything they're likely to do um so you know i think that's um that's kind of the the best case scenario um but i do think it's worth underlining that in the worst case scenario at the end of it you're still back to the table for talks and that might um be part of russia's calculus that they will prove how serious they are they will prove what the consequences are um and you know so if the western countries aren't willing to believe them in advance they're happy to demonstrate their point and then you know okay you can talk now or you can talk later i think is uh, is some of the messaging that at least you know at least some of the subtext of the messaging right and i, I mean i guess uh i mean that's obviously not a very uh heartening <laughs> uh you know uh, view or, or uh, but but certainly it does seem to be one of the one of the kind of threats or, or you know one of the things that russia is is signaling um you know with Rabkov saying you know we're not going to not going to wait forever, and we're not going to let these talks drag out. He said last night, you know, I don't think we'll be wasting our time tomorrow. So, and it's really hard, you know, I think he said a lot of things that are can be read in many ways, so I wouldn't put much into that. But um, again, you know, yeah, it does seem like a big question of, you know, what what will come out of today's talks. And one, one thing you, you mentioned, um, you know what? What the what the West, what U.S. and NATO may be. Um, I mean, they've said they they're going to lay out their concerns, um, and but I don't think we've heard a lot about in detail about what what they will actually say. So that's another thing that um, you know that we may find out. But you know, look, the Western countries don't like Russian military buildups and exercises either, um, and the, you know, you're not going to stop them. But you could very coherently develop some agreements and arrangements that limit them. It doesn't. Um, it's not easy, right? You, you can't. You can't do it immediately. But you can. Um, you know that INF deal the Russians have been talking about. Um, you know the INF treaty is dead, but limits on deployments of intermediate-range missiles or perhaps nuclear-capable ones mm-hmm. in Europe. 
Um, and, you know, they've said that the 9F729, which is the, you know, the Western designation for the missile that Western states say violated the INF, mm-hmm. it, as I've said, that could be included. If there's a verification system, look, I mean, that doesn't actually, from a military standpoint, I don't think it's all that meaningful because um, you can move um, missiles and then your missiles that are not in Europe come very close to Europe or become missiles in Europe. But it would be, um, you know, it would offer at least um, a political signal of willingness to talk and engagement, and it would create some precedent for verification of other things. Um, I think conventional deployments uh, are really hard, right? On the one hand, okay, nothing near your borders, but then you look at where Kaliningrad is and you look at the Baltic countries around it and you start trying to measure just how far away from borders anybody is supposed to be and you suddenly realize that it's really hard to make people happy. Yeah. But you can, you can still... You can still have that conversation. It's a difficult conversation, but you can still have it. In the Black Sea, you can talk about just how much anyone should be um, doing their freedom of navigation exercises in water that the Russians say is Russian territorial water because Crimea is Russian, and everybody else says, no, it's not because Crimea is Ukrainian. Um, So, you know, really tough things, but these are tough things you can have a conversation about, and people haven't been willing to have that conversation up until now because they felt that the buildups and the escalations were kind of a feature, not a bug of the system. That, you know, if you keep doing this, the other side will back down. Um, so if this does force them both to start talking about it and to limit some of these more escal- escalatory activities and behaviors, that's great. It's just that if you expect it to have rapid results, you're going to be disappointed and frustrated, and that might lead to more escalation. Right, um, and so I mean, I guess one one takeaway from from what you're saying uh, may be that you know there's there's certainly room for uh, for discussion of uh, some of the some of the things that are that are kind of on the table, um, but then. I mean, to me, it just all comes back to this this not this non expansion uh, demand. You know, I just see it just seems seems like it's going to be hard to avoid. Um, you know, uh, hard to avoid uh, that kind of getting in getting in the way of of anything else. But I guess it all depends on you know what Russia is willing to do and and what um, and what the United States and NATO are going to. Uh, be, you know, be kind of talking about with them? I mean, look, if you've got, if you have a real conversation and real discussions of other issues, and they really are, uh, in Russia's view, helpful um, to Russia's security interests, are they really going to say, nope, unless you sign a treaty that says you are never, ever, ever, ever going to have Ukraine in your club we are going to start a war. Um, are they going to do that? Um, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe, yeah. uh, but you know, this is um, this is what we're gonna this is what we're gonna see. All right, absolutely. Uh, okay, uh, thanks very much. We're running out of time, and we'll wrap it up there. Olga, thanks uh, so much for joining me again today. Thanks so much for inviting me again. All right, uh, great to talk to you, listeners. Uh, thanks for listening, and please tune in next Monday. I'll be off, but the podcast will have a guest host.